Well, good morning again. I hope you're ready to fly. If you were with us last week, you know that we began a new series of study on the return of Jesus Christ, the return of the King. And last week we were kind of in a little bit of a whirlwind of information. Uh, and a lot of the, the things that I shared with you may have been, had a lot of details and, and uh, unfamiliar information. That's okay, that's good. But get ready because it's going to come again today. The second coming of Jesus Christ is a, how do I say how important it is? I mean, it is absolutely crucial. To, isn't it to you? Those of you who are believers, isn't it crucial for you to know that Jesus is coming back? Sometimes that's the only way we can make sense of this world we live in. I don't understand it, but I know Jesus is going to come. And when he does, things that have been messed up for a long time are going to be made right. It's important for us to know how to prepare ourselves for that time when Jesus comes. The word that you see on the screen before you, we talked about this last week, is eschatology. And that is the study of the end times, the last days. The last events. It really covers so much more than just the second coming. But understand that the second coming is the key element to the end times. Now, I, later on in this series, I'll do a little bit of timelining for you. But let me tell you, first of all, before we launch into our study today, that we don't know when Jesus is coming back especially with regards to the end times, to the second coming, the second return of Jesus. But the Bible talks to us about two returns of Jesus, okay? There's going to be the second coming when Jesus comes and sets foot again on earth and establishes his kingdom here that will last for a millennial, for a thousand years. You've probably been around church very long. You've heard of the millennial kingdom. That's what it refers to. Immediately preceding that return of Jesus, the Bible speaks to us about a seven-year period of time where there would be tribulation like has never been seen before. That will last for seven years, and, the, and Daniel, Revelation, talk about the first three and a half years as being, these, this is my term, moderately or mildly tribulation uh, and then during this tribulation time three and a half years in everything changes the antichrist is revealed and the antichrist will then cut off worship at the jewish temple in jerusalem that was why the importance of the of the rebuilding of the temple was discussed last week but the, and then the last three and a half years leading up to the second coming is what the Bible calls, what Daniel calls, the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, so here's, here's what we have to do with the timeline. Jesus is coming somewhere down here. And seven years before that, we don't know where this is, but seven years before that, Jesus, uh, the Bible will, says we'll go through a period of tribulation. How do you know when you're in the tribulation? Well, uh, there's going to be an event that triggers that, and that is what I would call the first return of Jesus, but he won't come to the earth. He will come on the clouds. The Bible, it, it, the Bible presents that to us, this to us in several places. It's called, in theology, the rapture of the church. Now, I told you last week, when we, do, when we study end times eschatology, there may be some things you disagree with, with me about, and that's fine. There are a lot, there's a lot of disagreement with regards to the rapture of the church, if it's going to take place, when it takes place. Does it happen at the beginning of the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, or after the tribulation period? And I believe, I will just tell you right now, we're going to talk about the, uh, the rapture next week. 
But I'll tell you right now, I tend to be a pre-tribulationist. And I hope so, because that means I'm not going to have to go through the, tri the great tribula tribulation. Either God's going to call me home before then, or he's going to call me home when Jesus comes and catches me up, takes me away. Now, if you're somebody who says, no, I believe in the post-tribulation, good luck to you. I'm going to be gone. But I want you to know that I'm going to be preaching this series of messages with the idea that Jesus will come and when, uh, in the, on the clouds with the trumpet blast. The angels will declare he's coming, and the whole earth, the, all, all nations will see him, and the elect from all around the world are going to be gathered together. We're going to read that in a minute. But then, uh, then we'll, that's the trigger. That's the target that we look for. We don't know when that's going to happen, but here's what we do know. It's going to happen seven years before Jesus returns. This is the, this is the uh, trigger that starts the whole thing. You know when Jesus could return in the clouds? Right now. Any moment. By the way, see, Ken, Ken asked me a question this past week, and I just wanted if, if he had it, because he, you know, he doesn't always think. So, but he asked me, does the, does the temple have to be rebuilt before Jesus returns? Uh, and in order, here's the thing, depends on which return you're talking about. If you're talking about the second coming, yes, it has to be rebuilt because it's got to be functioning so that the Antichrist can cut off worship there. But he doesn't have to be built when, when uh, Jesus comes and raptures the church out. It can be built after that. And plans are already underway. Drawings are already made. They're ready to go. All they have to say, build it in Jerusalem. And it'll, it'll be built in time for all that to happen. So we are on a timeline. We're on a countdown. And not a one of us know exactly when Jesus is going to come on the clouds. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking. And shouldn't be aware of what God is telling us in the days that are leading up to that. That's, that's what we're going to look at today in our, in our message today. We're going to be talking about and looking at um, about uh, the events that God speaks to us to remind us, to tell us that Jesus is, re is coming again. The proof, the signs of that. Now, uh, last week we talked about, we learned seven different things that would be signals. Sirens that Jesus is coming soon. And the operative word there is the word soon. The word soon uh, is, a, is a word that in Greek it's taku. And it means to have a sudden, quick, like lightning strikes uh, return of Jesus Christ. Uh, and the Bible's, Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24, he's going to come when no man knows. Uh, and the people are going to be getting married and eating lunch and working out in the fields. And Jesus is going to return. One's going to be taken, the other left. We can't know when that's going to happen, but we can tell that it's getting ready to happen. Because we don't know the time, but we can know the seasons. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at. Some of the signs and some of the seasons. All right? I want you, if you will, to open your Bible with me today to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. And I, I, I want to say this from, this from the start. I said this last week. Uh, I am not a prophet. I don't claim to be. I don't declare to be. I am not a prophet. I am not the son of a prophet. But I am somebody who has, and I don't say this with any hint of arrogance, who's done some reading, done some research, and, and done some study. So I'm sharing with you <clears throat> what are my conclusions, my understandings, my opinions about these things, but they are, they are opinions that are informed by the Word of God. Okay? So I just want to make sure you know that. But here's the thing that through this entire study we have to remember, have to remember, Jesus is returning. Yes. And he's returning soon. 
Luke chapter 21 is the conversation that Jesus is having with, with his disciples. And uh, <clears throat> he, the, the disciples ask him, well, they're, they're looking at the temple. They're on the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley from the temple itself. And the temple was magnificent. And they all say, Jesus, can you believe this place? This is where we get to worship. This is, a, this is an amazing place. And Jesus says to them, I want you to know the time's coming when not one stone of that building, of that complex, is going to be standing on top of another. It's going to be completely destroyed. Well, they think for a moment, and they say, well, Lord, tell us. If that happens, that's going to be the end of the age. So what are the signs of your coming? What are your signs with regards to when these things are going to happen and then the end of the age? And so Jesus gives them a lot of, a lot of information, things like there will be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, brother against brother. The, uh, there's going to be an intensified hatred in the world and it, and the love of many will grow cold. Does that sound like something that could be going on today? It does to me. And so, but he says, but, but I, I want you to know that's not the end yet. These things are going to have to take place. But he's, he's, he tells us some of the, one of the things that's going to happen in Luke chapter 21, verse 7. And in, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 24. The disciples... Um, in asking when are these things going to happen, here's one. Of, here's a part of what Jesus answered in Luke chapter 21, verse 24. He says, and they, referring to the Jews, will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Remember last week we looked at that verse. And we saw how this was a, a, an indication that Jerusalem. Now at the time Luke's writing this. Jerusalem is still standing. The temple is still standing. By the time John writes the book of Revelation. The temple has been destroyed. And the Romans have taken Jerusalem and that nation away from, from the Hebrews. From the Jews. And they are uh, looking forward to a time, if there would be such a time, where they're going to be able to be brought back into the land. The Romans destroyed the temple in the, in the year A.D. 70. And from A.D. 70 until, uh, until 1967, Israel did not control Jerusalem. But during the Six Days War of, seven, of, of 1967, they drove the, the Gentiles that were possessing the land out of the land. Remember, they, uh, the, I mentioned the Syrians to the northern border. The, the uh, Jordanians and the Iranians were on the eastern border, and the Egyptians were gathered at the southern border of, of Israel, and they were going to... They were going to have a, a unified attack on, on Israel and take the city. But Israel was preempted. And they began to flex their muscle. And Jordan and Iran were so convinced that the, the Israelis, if we try to stay and fight, they will <clears throat> annihilate us. They'll wipe us from the planet. And so they withdrew. But they didn't just withdraw back to their land that was given as part of the uh, declaration of making Israel a state, they crossed over to the Jordan, the Jordan River, and all this area, uh, the eastern or the eastern part of Jerusalem included, was now under the, the authority and the rule of Israel as a nation. And for the first time then, in over 1900 years, Israel ruled Jerusalem. Okay, and so you know why that is? Because the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. That's happening right now. Jerusalem is the capital of 
Israel and is recognized worldwide as the capital of Israel since 2018. When, when the United States and President Trump declared that we were moving our embassy from the United or from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, and several other nations joined in and have joined since then, and now the capital of Israel is Jerusalem. It had been trampled on for 1,900 years by the Gentiles, but now it belonged. It was back in the hands of Jerusalem. Reading on, verse 25 says. Jesus is speaking again here, and he says, There will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. There will be signs, evidences, proofs that Jesus is returning, that the, end, that the eschatology of the end times is taking place. And he says, And on earth, the stress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Verse 25 says there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars. Do you believe that God speaks today? Yes. You know one of the ways that God speaks? Hebrews tells us in times past God has spoken to us several ways. Through prophets and through events and things like that. But now God is speaking to us through his son. Through Jesus Christ. So if you want to hear God speak, know Jesus, get to know him. But understand that God is also making declarations to the world in nature. And especially in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so uh, the psalmist wrote in Psalms 19, verse 1, verse 2, he writes, The heavens declare. The glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day it utters speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. God talks about, Jesus mentions that Jesus will, Jesus will return. He doesn't know when, but the Father in heaven knows and he will give signs that it's coming very, very soon. And those signs will be in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And so today, that's all introduction. This, today we're going to look at the sky. We're going we're gonna to talk about uh, the return of Jesus and, there, and the signs that are there in the sky. So are you ready? Do you believe, let me ask, do you believe that God could use the stars and the sun and the moon to, to make a declaration as specific as the return of Christ? He's done it before. He did it. He used the heavens. And I say this again, I guess this is still part of introduction. So you'll understand this. He used the heavens, the stars, at Jesus' first coming. Do you remember that? That was when the wise men who were in a country, probably Iran or Persia, which is the same, uh, to the east of Jerusalem. But they saw something happen in the heavens and they were aware that this was a message either from God or from the gods. They saw something take place in the heavens that caused them to load up some gifts and travel, journey across that desert area to Jerusalem in search of the one who was born to be king of the Jews. What was the sign in the heaven that they saw? What drove them? Now, first of all, let me say this. It is very, 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 very possible that God stuck a, a star in there. Okay? You know, some sort of a guiding light that... God can do that. I can't. You can't. God can. God could do that. Um, but it also could be that God used what he had already established when he flung the heavens out. When he spoke them into existence. That he would know where the stars would be on Jesus' birth when he came. 
and and he would work uh, everything together till it comes to that particular moment in time and the stars would be like this and it, it, let me say this about the stars I'm sorry if I sound like I'm rambling here but it's because I am <laughs> the stars are fixed in the heavens they are so far away from us that if they move at all we'll never know it it we'll never see that in our lifetime just because uh they are ordered the bible says that god put everyone in its place and he gave everyone its name and the stars are so ordered we can tell when you can look up and they can say now if you look straight up you'll see the the north star whatever star they are uh, and they're that ordered they don't move. Planets are not stars. Planets are planets. And planets reflect the light of the sun. And that's how they look like they're stars in the sky. But the planets, like the earth, goes around the sun in its, in its revolution. And, that, and because some planets have a closer proximity to the sun, they're spinning like this. While others are spinning like this. So it takes the earth 365 and a quarter days to make it around our, our revolution. It doesn't take that long for Venus to do that. Or for, uh, it takes longer for Mars to do that or Jupiter, okay? So here, here's what I want you to see. These planets will appear to move through the sky. Today, they'll, tonight they'll be over here. Tomorrow night they'll be over here. The next night they'll be over here. Because these planets are moving, some of which we can see with the naked eye, such as Venus. Venus is the brightest star in the sky, but it's not a star, it's a planet, and it moves. Jupiter is also fairly bright, not as bright as Venus, but fairly bright. There's a reason I'm telling you this, okay, so hang on, follow along with me as we go through this. In the, year, in, the, in the month of September in 3 BC, something spectacular happened in the sky. Uh, and that was that, uh, that Jupiter in its orbit was going, moving across the sky, and it came to the star that is set, you know, visually. People used to look at stars a lot more than we do now. They didn't have television at night, so they'd go out and look at the stars. And many people, these astronomers and astrologers included from, from, the, from the east, they would study the stars. And they knew where the constellations were and what the significant stars were. So as Jupiter is going across the sky in its, in its orbit, it comes to the star named Regulus. And regular, as it comes to Regulus, comes over the top visually, so you're going to be looking up and you're going to see Regulus, and then just above that, you're going to be seeing Jupiter. And Jupiter's going to go, but then because of the retrograde motion of the Earth, it's going to appear like Jupiter's going to come back. And then it goes back into its orbit, and then it's going to come back. Three times during the month of September, Jupiter circled over Regulus. The, the constellation that Regulus is a part of is the constellation of Leo. Okay, now you're saying, okay, now I'm really confused. I have no idea why you're telling me all of this. Well, let me tell you this. In the story of the wise men, Jupiter is called the, the, uh, the king planet. Okay. Jupiter's called the king planet. Regulus is called the king star. You need to go to the next slide, mate. And Leo is called the king constellation. You see that? The king planet circling the king star in the king constellation. King, king, king. The astronomers of Egypt said, we need to pay attention to this. This is something that doesn't happen all the time. 
the God, God or the gods is trying to tell us that there's been a king that has been born. And so they load up their goods and they travel to the east uh, following that star. And they, in their study, they find out that it's, uh, that it's, it's in, it's in uh, Israel. So they make their way there. <coughs> and while they're en route or while they're getting there, Venus does something else or, or Jupiter does something else. Jupiter and Venus come in, con what's the word, conjunction with one another, where they look like they combine, where they come together. We had one of these just last February, I believe it was, <coughs> where there was, that they came together and looked like one star, but if you got out a telescope, you could see there were two different stars. It was by far the brightest star in the sky. Venus and Jupiter came together and it looked like the brightest star these guys had ever seen. And, uh, and both of these are planets, so they're moving, and they see the star, and they say, now we can follow him, where, follow the star where we need to go. Now, this was nine months after September of, two, of 3 BC. By the way, you do understand this is about the time Jesus is born, right? And so nine months later, this, con this, con this conjunction of these two stars take place. But here's what we need to see. We've already seen that Jupiter is the king planet. But what about Venus? Venus is called the mother planet. So the king and the mother are coming together. And uh, the, the constellation that, that they were in at that time was Virgo. You know what Virgo means? Virgin. Okay, now, I'm going to tell you, all of this might be coincidence. I personally don't think anything's coincidence with God. God is working to bring this to happen, and it's foretelling the coming of the Son of God at his first coming. If God did that in his first uh, in the first return of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus, why wouldn't he do it at the second? So I want you to see that the, the stars deliver the declaration of God that Jesus is returning. Now, that's what Jesus talked about in Luke 21, verse 25, where he, where he says that there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. Now I want you to, if you will, turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 is the parallel passage of scripture to what we just read in Luke chapter 21. But Matthew gives us a little bit different detail, a little bit more information than what Luke does. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 he says, immediately after these, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heavens and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Now, we're going to read on in just a moment. But there are mentioned there are four signs in the sky. Jesus speaking. Four signs in the sky of events that will take place as a sign that Jesus is returning soon. He doesn't give us a day or a date when these things will happen, but they are signs when you see them happening. They are, those four signs are that the sun will be darkened, that the moon will not give light, that stars will fall from the heavens, and that the powers will be shaken. Now those are the four signs. There are, there are going to be three more that I'm just going to mention in passing today. Those are the four I want to look at this morning as signs of the return of Jesus. The first one is the sign of the darkening of the sun. 
and the darkening of the sun is done during a solar eclipse. Okay? Now, I'm, I'm delivering this as if uh, God could do it another way. He doesn't have to do it by a, by a, 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 sol, a total eclipse of the sun. But during a total eclipse of the sun, the sun is darkened on earth. Do you remember, what was it, 2017, I think, uh, when there was the, uh, the total eclipse of the sun, April the, or the August the 17th, 2017? Well, in the United States, in the history of the United States, from 1776, from the Declaration of Independence until now, there have been four total eclipses, continental eclipses, where the entire continent went through a, an eclipse. Uh, the one uh, that was done in, in 2017, August the 17th, uh, I shouldn't say there, are, there were three, there's going to be a fourth one. Okay, I'll tell you about that. First, let's talk for a moment about the one on August the 17th, 2017. On that one, I can still remember, it was about, when it hit here in Kansas City, it was around noon, and I, we were watching, uh, and, and it started getting eerily dark around noon here, and it got so dark that the street lights came on. Do you remember that, that eclipse? Uh, that was a... Uh, that was one of the eclipses that have taken place. There were two that had happened previous to that in the history of the United States. One of those, the first one, took place on November the 30th, 1776. The second one that took place was on June the 8th, 1918. Okay, so June the 8th, 1918, do you know what happened? Now, remember, this is signs with the darkening of the sun. Let me interrupt myself to, say, to tell you, I've done, as I mentioned, I've done a lot of reading on this. Jewish tradition, Jewish um, prophets say, those who teach Jewish prophecy, that, uh, that signs regarding the sun are messages that are given with regards to and to, directly to Gentiles. That, that, that messages from the moon are messages for Hebrews. More about that when we get to the, to, uh, uh, the lunar eclipses. On June, uh, on June the 8th, 1918, you know what happened shortly after that? The Spanish flu hit. And the Spanish flu, which this COVID-19 has been most compared to, was had an enormous impact on the, on the Gentile nations of the world. The Spanish flu hit our nation, and it caused a lot of sickness. That flu pandemic infected 20% of the world's population, and it resulted in 675,000 American deaths and somewhere around 40 million deaths worldwide. Um, and, and so it was, a, it, it was a tragic number. And when you consider that was more than 100 years ago, and the population of the United States was significantly less than it is now. Those are big numbers. On November the 30th, 1776, did anybody have any idea uh, what was taking place in the United States then? On July the 4th, 1776, the United States had made a declaration of independence and was now in the process of being involved in a war with Britain. And that war took the lives of a lot of Americans. In fact, uh, there were 17,000 Americans that died during the American Revolutionary War, and when you consider the population of the United States at that time, that's a big number. And so both of these, both of these uh, events, these solar eclipses, gave indication that something was happening, and something significant was happening, not to the Jewish people. I'm not saying that they weren't affected by the Spanish flu or the Revolutionary War, 
but to the Gentiles, to you and to me. Then uh, we had the one on uh, August the 17th, 2017. Let me tell you a couple of things about this. The eclipse hit landfall and began, it moved from northwest to southeast. It first was observable on the continent in Portland, Oregon, or around that area uh, that earlier that morning, and it moved, as I said, from south, south or northwest to southeast. At the same time, the, the total eclipse began in Salem, Oregon. I said it's Portland, Salem, Oregon. At the same moment that the eclipse became total there, it also was the moment of sundown in Israel, in Jerusalem. Coincidence? Maybe so, but it became dark. The sun became dark at the same time, the same instant in the United States as well as in, uh, in uh, uh, Israel. Five days after the eclipse, Hurricane Harvey made landfall in Texas near Port Arenas. Port Arenas was a, an old city. It was founded in the 1700s. And it was named Arenas because there was a shepherd who was living there who, was a, uh, who spoke the Basque, B-A-S-Q-U-E language. And in Basque, the, the Basque language is spoken almost exclusively in Spain and the Spain-France border in the mountains, the mountainous regions there. A shepherd who had grown up there uh, and moved to uh, to the United States, uh, not to the colonies at that time, and he came to Texas, and he established the town, and this shepherd said that he had a vision of the Virgin Mary sitting there on a, uh, a, a plate of thorns, sitting on atop thorns. And so he called the name Arenas, which means uh, uh, sitting, on, uh, sitting on thorns. And people thought when, when the many pastors in Texas, when the, when the um, hurricane hit Port Arenas, that, that they were sitting on a, uh, the thorns of a disaster. The, the storm track was projected to go straight from Port Arenas and hit head-on Corpus Christi. Miraculously, the, the hurricane turned and completely avoided Corpus Christi. Now, do you know what Corpus Christi means in English? Body of Christ. So here's what you see. This hurricane coming in, hitting this thorns of a disaster, but being diverted away from the body of Christ so that the Corpus Christi didn't go through the hurricane. These other places did, but the body of Christ was protected. And I can still recall uh, how pastors in that day were talking about how this was a deliverance from God, like God is going to do in the tribulation when the body of Christ is going to be protected from the thorns of a disaster. Um, so, uh, moving on, that, that's, that's what you need to know about the solar eclipses, except for one more thing. You know when the next solar eclipse is going to take place? Now, first of all, notice how far apart these are. I mean, it's unusual to have a total continental solar eclipse here in the United States. There's only been three of them since the United States became a nation. You know when the next one will be? It will be on April the 8th, 2024. That's not far away. That's like less than three years, we'll have another total eclipse. It had been a century before, but now there will be another one. Now there's gonna be some differences about this one. I mentioned that the total, uh, the total eclipse of 2017 went from the northeast to the southwest. 
This total eclipse, total eclipse is going to go from the northeast to the southwest. If you drew a line of the, of the root of the eclipse, of the first one, and then you draw a line of where the, where the next one's going to take place, where those two lines would cross, Ken, you might be familiar with this, is in a, it is in a city. The exact point is in a city in southern Illinois called Macanda. It's down by Carbondale. You know where I'm talking about? Uh, Macanda uh, was a city that was named because, because a century or more before um, there was a famine in northern Illinois and a lot of the people left the area to find food and jobs and some sort of livelihood and so they left northern Illinois and moved to southern Illinois and the town of Macanda was uh, was established and it was named Macanda because um, Macanda means little Egypt because the people that settled there saw the way that Israel was saved during a time of a famine by relocating to Egypt. And so they saw this as little Egypt. Uh, now, is all this coincidence? Maybe. But it also may be the signs in the, in the, in the sky with regards to the solar eclipse. So let me talk to you about lunar eclipses. That's the second one. There will be lunar eclipses, the Bible says. And a lunar eclipse... Whereas a solar eclipse is where the moon comes between the earth and the sun and totally blocks the sun out. A lunar eclipse is where the, the uh, earth comes between the sun and the moon and blocks them out. Okay, so you, get, you know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a lunar eclipse. During a lunar eclipse, a total lunar eclipse, the, the moon turns or appears to turn red, blood red. And that's why, why things are called a blood moon. It's, it's going to happen. It's only going to happen at the day of a, of a new moon because that's the, only time, that's the only time all three of these are going to line up. The moon has to be exactly opposite of the sun Sometimes it's up here, so you don't have a total eclipse. Sometimes it's down here. But when it's right here in the earth, the earth's shadow is cast across it. There is not, uh, the, there's no light given. So the, this, the light of the moon is, uh, is darkened. Joel, the prophet Joel talked about this. Joel chapter 2, verse 30, he says, I will show wonders in the heavens. This is God speaking through him. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood. Look at this. Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. There's the prophecy with regards to the blood moon. Now we've already talked about what a blood moon is. Let me tell you a little bit about about the significance of this. When there are, it, lunar eclipses are quite a bit more common than total solar eclipses just because of the size of the objects involved. But the, there have been, there are, when there are four blood moons that take place on a Jewish holiday within a two year period. Now understand what I'm saying here. Four blood moons that will happen within a two-year period, and they will occur on a Jewish holiday. Those four, uh, those, th those years where that happens is called a tetrad. Jewish, uh, uh, Jewish uh, tradition and historians and talk about this as a tetrad. There have been... Uh, in the past 530 years, there have been exactly four tetrads that have been recorded in 530 years. Now, here they are. 
Now, do you understand what a tetrad is? That during a two-year period, four of the Jewish holidays, there are seven Jewish holidays, four of them will occur during a blood moon, a total lunar eclipse. The first one is 1492. We know 1492 and 1493. Ask us, and we'll tell you what 1492 is famous for. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. But that wasn't what the Jews would remember 1492 for. In 1492, Queen Isabel, King, uh, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella expelled the Jews from out of their, from out of, uh, of their country. And now the Jews had no place to call home. And it may have started the, the countdown for re uh, returning the Jews back to their homeland. So that's what takes place at the first Tetrad in the last 530 years. The second Tetrad is 1949 to 1950. Last week we talked about the fact that in 1948, Israel was declared to be a nation. Remember that? And the, in one day, Israel became a nation but it took them nine months to develop a government. So they had nine months of wonderful bliss without the government to tell them everything to do. But in, in 1949, the government of Israel began to rule. Israel had a homeland. Same, same time period as a tetrad. The third one was in 1967 and 1968. You, did those dates sound familiar? That's the period of time where the Six Day War took, the, took place. And Israel, as a nation now, took Jerusalem. We've already talked about that. And they ruled over Jerusalem. They saw that, those, that Tetrad as a message that God was going to deliver them. By the signs of the, uh, signs of the sky. The fourth tetrad was only a few years back, in 2014 and 2015. At the time, Jewish historians believed that that was the signal that the temple was going to be rebuilt. The temple's not been rebuilt, but let me tell you, they're ready. They've got the supplies. They've got the plans. All they're waiting is for the go-ahead. God's going to give them the go-ahead. Sometime either before Jesus comes on the clouds or right after that, because when the tribulation period happens, the temple's going to be functioning. Do you see what I'm, what I'm trying to say, that God gives signs in the sun? God gives messages to the moon? His word tells us that. It's not just a figure of speech. It's a reality. There's the third sign in the sky that is recorded, that Jesus speaks about, and that is there will be meteors. So there will be the stars are going to fall from the sky, which to me has to be one of two things, either a meteor or a comet, or a, a star if God should choose to do that. Um, it take a while for them to get here, but I don't think that's a real problem for, uh, for God to pull off. But more likely, it's speaking about meteors. Do you understand? We are or comets. Now, the difference between the two is that meteors aren't so much uh, patterned in, their, in the, their travel. They're different kinds of, uh, of, of uh, material also. But meteors are hit and miss, and you may have a meteor shower. But the comets, you can tell when they're going to come, they have an orbit such as Halley's Comet. Halley's Comet will come around, what is it, every 86 years? 75. 75? Okay, 75 years. Um, so there's, but here's this regular uh, travel of the, of the comets. Either way, there are gonna be meteors and comets that are falling from the sky. We, that happens every day. Most of the meteors that, that come into the Earth's atmosphere are burnt up before they ever strike, but some of them strike. And I read that if, if a meteor, this is altogether possible, if a meteor that was 30 meters, meters across, that's 100, roughly 100 feet, 
if a rock that size struck the earth for years, there would be so much dust that would be stirred up that the sun would be darkened by that. And the, the impact of the collision would cause the water levels to rise to where well over a third of the world would go underwater. It might even trigger a second ice age. Um, you know that probably, whether this is true or not, I don't, I don't know, but that the dinosaurs were wiped out by a, a meteor. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But meteors can have a great impact. Jesus says there's going to be an increase in the number of the stars that fall from the sky. And then the fourth thing he talks about are uh, the powers of the heaven. The powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now this, this one I have to tell you is a little bit perplexing for me. Because I'm not exactly sure what that means. But it sounds to me as if there's some sort of a spiritual warfare that will be taking place. And the structure of powers of those in that circle is going to be shaken. That may be taking place now. Angels and demons are typically considered in the Bible as being the powers uh, in the heavens. The Bible talks about them several times. And so there's going to be some sort of a battle that is going to result in the, a cosmic spiritual shaking. Let me ask you something. Do you think that could be taking place right now? In my lifetime, things that 30 years ago were considered as wrong, as bad, as immoral, are now not only embraced and accepted and promoted as good and moral, they are even being forced on us to accept them. I, will, I would contend to you that's a spiritual thing. That's a spiritual attack on our lives. Um, so we, we see how, how these signs of the powers in the heavens will um, are, are indicators to us that the return of Christ. Now I've got I'm gonna I'm gonna hurry because I'm gonna get finished. I want to go back to reading Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 30, because this is what Jesus goes on to say. After he discusses the four signs in the skies, he's going to say the next sign in the sky is going to be Matthew in Matthew 24:30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. What's he talking about there? The rapture of the church. Where Jesus doesn't come to the earth, but he comes on the clouds. Now when he does that, look what else it says will take place. Verse 31, he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one another, uh, from one end of heaven to the other. These are, are telling us that the fifth, sixth, and seventh signs of the return of Christ are first the Son of Man will come on the clouds, the rapture will take place. And did you notice it says all the nations will see it? And there will be distress among those nations. Because you know I think they're going to say? Uh-oh. These crazy Christians were right. And then after that, there will be the sixth sign is the angelic trumpeting. These are events that are yet to happen. Okay? But there will be an angelic trumpeting. I wish I had time to chase this rabbit down. I'm going to just tell it to you. They're not talking about having a, a four-piece brass ensemble that's going to be playing when the saints go marching in. The word that's used there for the trumpet is the word, is the word that we would use for a shofar. A shofar is not a brass instrument. It's a bone. It comes off of the animals. Let me show you a couple of pictures of the shofar. The shofar is blown not to a tune, but a loud blast. And 
when the shofar is blown, especially on the day of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, uh, that shofar uh, is, is blown in the temple or where the temple was, and it would be, there would be a, a, another trumpeter, another person with a shofar that would be on the corners of the trumpet of the uh, temple mount, and they would blow to the east, west, north, and south, and there was a series of a hundred trumpeters going out concentrically, and when one hears the blast, the other one begins to blast. And when the next one hears that blast, they all, and they're blasting for a long period of time, a piercing sound. It's kind of like when the siren, the tornado watch sirens go off around here on uh, the first Wednesday of each month. It gets your attention, it's loud, it's not musical, it's not enjoyable, but it's a warning sign. Can I say that there is a, on September, on Rosh Hashanah, is also called the Feast of Trumpets. You know when that takes place? The first, the first day of the seventh month of the year is the Feast of Trumpets. That's halfway through the year. And on that day, it's the only, it's the only, Feast of Trumpets is the only feast that's not on, that's on the first day of the month instead of like the 15th day of the month or 10th day after the first month, something like that, okay? Passover is on the 15th, 14th night, the evening of the 14th and the 15th day of the first month of the year. But on the 10th day of that month, you're to go out and select your animal for sacrifice. There is the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, is recognized as the only holiday, the only, I shouldn't say holiday, the only Jewish feast that there isn't a, a designated day for. I know the Bible says the seventh, but they don't know exactly when that trumpet's going to blast. Because here's the way it's done. There are persons that are out watching the moon. And they can't have the new year until the last little sliver of sunlight or moonlight uh, has gone. And then when it's done, the high priest is informed by the ones that are marked, that are watching. And then he declares, now it's the day of the Lord. It's the day of Rosh Hashanah, the new year. Until the, the priest declares it, they don't have a holiday. It's a day that... It, it, in Jewish circles, it has become known as the day, the holiday, the feast of which no one knows. Now, if you've been paying attention, that ought to make the hairs on the back of your head stand up. Because Jesus talked about when he would return, it would be on a day which no one knows. There's going to be a blowing of the shofar, of the trumpets, by the angels, and this is going to be the sign that he is returning to gather, that's the seventh thing, to gather the elect in the four corners of the earth. Do you think all of this is coincidental? I've asked you that three or four times. I just can't see it is. I see God's handiwork all over this. You know what it speaks to me? I don't know whether Jesus is going to come this week or next month or next year or if it's going to be 10,000 years from now, but I know he's going to come. And he's going to come soon, and he's going to come quickly, and the signs are all around us that it could be today. So you know what? Jesus goes on, we don't have time to read it in Matthew chapter 24, to, to discuss, be ready, because you don't know when it will take place. The day and the hour, you don't know. Be ready when it's declared the day. That's when you'll know it. So... Be alert. Be watchful. This is what we need to be doing as we get closer to the return of Christ. <clears throat> Pay attention to the sky, to the signs that are in the sky. Keep looking up because your redemption draws nigh. I want you to bow your head with me. <clears throat> Father, our... My mind is just in awe 
when I when we put together the, the plan that you are working, the pieces that come together that seem so coincidental and seem so ordinary and everyday, but yet, Father, they're part of your predetermined plan to bring redemption to this world. So, Lord, I pray for each person that's here and each person that's watching us by video that we would use this moment to say, God, if Jesus were to return now, am I ready? Am I watching? Am I serving? Am I prepared for that day? And that today we would choose to do business with you to make sure that we are ready. So in these next few moments, Father, as we sing a song, a song to you of our love for Jesus Christ, who is coming again, that, Father, we would uh, uh, use this time to make whatever commitments we need to make. Have your way in our hearts, Father. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.